Shagur, everyone. Shagur. Shagur. Welcome to our minute four podcast of uh, Awake, the Life of Yogananda. Uh, to, uh, I'm Priyank. Uh, please introduce yourself, guys. Uh, tell me how long or whether you did your energization this morning. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. I did not do my energization this morning. <laughs> going to cool you out now. It's good that you asked that. It's, it's a mo- motivation for me to do it more in the future. Um, but I, I did have a wonderful meditation anyways. I mean, I mean as simple as Mike uh, on that one. Um, I, uh, I actually laid out the lessons to re- read over them again um, in, in more detail. Again, uh, note to self, do more. Um, but the meditation was was great. Yeah. Before this call, we were discussing uh, how to have less, re- have rely on less, having less sleep. And I told Chris, oh, if you do energization properly, like uh, you should need zero sleep. And it's funny <laughs> that Chris didn't do it. <laughs> well, yeah, because I was asking you at the top just before the call, like, so, you know, how much how much sleep do you guys get? Because you know, with with, with the lessons and with everything that we're studying, the idea is that the body might require less so to anybody who doesn't know isn't familiar with yoga um it's kind of like uh, yoga is like the handbook to understanding the highest bit, bit of technology which is the human body so you're meant to really optimize the mind body and soul for 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 life and and run it optimally optimally so meditation good practice, one of which is the energization techniques, which is a series of uh, steps to energize the body through breathing, tensing, moving the body in a certain way. And essentially you would become human, control the life force. Yeah, so there's a whole journey. And it's funny on on this note, um, maybe people think that once you kind of get into meditation, not all the rest of it, that you are somehow somehow like a higher being or you know you're on some higher plane of existence and you think maybe you're better than everybody else but if you're truly involved in it you'll know that it gets harder not not easier life life um, can put up challenges let's say Uh, not harder is the wrong word but um you kind of kick your life into other gears so there's more to think about in a sense but yeah um meditation this morning was great the energization techniques will be great thanks did you at least do the um the the like two two minute version where you just tense your whole body i i did that whilst i was brushing my teeth to be fair i did i didn't want to i didn't want to say because i didn't know if it counted but (laughs) i was i was doing some of the some of the steps whilst i was brushing my teeth yeah it doesn't count i'm sure it does yeah but yeah so you guys have got to be mindful. When I host, I'm going to like ask these kind of awkward questions. So pop quizzes, on, pop quizzes. On the day, on the day of our um, podcast, you better make sure you do <laughs> everything. <laughs> Teacher, yeah, I love I'll it. be I'll be ready next time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So minute four. Let's uh, go through it. So we have Yogananda's voice in this uh, in this. Uh, in a minute and it starts with the prayer his prayer that he does and we get to hear his voice and we get to see a video of him which is cool obviously uh, we then get blessed to hear his chanting voice which is uh, quite unique um, then we have krishna das again um, saying some things and then we have george harrison again saying some things so we will uh, go through it in that order so Yogananda, what does he first say? So he, he carries on with his prayer. Um, but before we start with his uh, prayer, we actually get to see him. Uh, we get to hear his voice. So I don't, you might, you probably don't remember. It was so long ago. But for Chris and I, I'm going to ask you, Chris, first. What was your first experience of hearing Yogananda's voice? And uh, how was it? So I, I'm, I was... I guess, when did I first hear the voice? It was probably somewhere in the SRF, um, maybe video recordings there. And it felt like a 
like I, I was very familiar with the voice already. Um, so it sounded as though it sounded like a friend. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think like, how can I word this? It sounded like I'd heard the voice before. It sounded like, you know, this, this is somebody who's a friend of mine. I think you can hear kind of compassion and love in people's voice. And I just heard his soul effectively. And I just really felt uh, very close and it put a smile on my face immediately. You know, very profound for me, actually. I, remember, I, I think I was, I was sitting actually in the SRF London Centre when there was a, a video recording or a, a, a voice recording playing, and it just put a big smile on my face. Mike, do you remember? I, I think there's a few different um, recordings that I heard early on and over and over again. One is definitely in this is a film about the Lakeshrine dedication. Oh, we've uh, lost Mike a little bit. Atma Gandhi. Sorry, Mike, we lost you a little bit. Say that again. Um, the Lake Shrine dedication. Yes. So, so basically, he, you hear his voice in the in the film about the Lake Shrine dedication. He, I think, he's doing the the funeral of Mahatma Gandhi because a portion of the ashes of Mahatma Gandhi came to Lake Shrine, and is there in a in a little shrine. And I think that was the first one. That I that I listen to actively, very beautiful voice, um, and I think there's also an um, a CD with where he sings. I think it's called Songs of My Heart. Not sure if you guys are familiar, but mm -hmm. that one is also very beautiful. No, I haven't heard it. Um, for me, actually, uh, it's interesting. I um, I hadn't so when I whilst I was doing the lessons and I, until I applied for Korea. I hadn't met really anyone from SRF or interacted with anyone from SRF, nor had I seen Yogananda or heard his voice or um, in a video, I mean. And so I actually went to the London Centre for the Korea ceremony. That was the first time that I went to the London Centre. And I distinctly remember his voice during the ceremony. Uh, they, they play a recording. And it was, wow, like it just blew my mind. Like the ceremony itself is obviously quite a, quite a process as you can imagine. Um, I think Mike, you're a Kriyaban and Chris, uh, you're yet to uh, take, uh, take that step. But the, the ceremony we obviously can't discuss, but it's obviously a pretty life altering experience, but the, they play a recording of Yogananda. And that was the first time I heard his voice and like, Wow. And ever since then, every time I hear it, there's still that same, I still get that same, you know, my whole being shakes and, and there's always like, he's, he's so intense. Like, even if he's speaking like about, you know, something quiet, quietly, it's, it's so intense. Right. And it really stirs your soul and it makes you want to like put into practice, like virtually every line of recording that we have of his, there's nothing mon mundane is there. It's like, powerful like stuff like just this prayer for example he says i paramahansa yogananda i'm praying pray with me bless me that with the awakening dawn i may awaken all souls with my own and bring them to thee wow yeah powerful uh, yeah go on with, with the lessons um with srf you know it talks a lot about um the use of the voice and uh, in some of the pamphlets and things that you could buy through the SRF uh, bookshop. There's um, information there on how to use the voice and the divinity that the, I guess the, the vocal cords and the voice is. So Yogananda was known to turn away from people if he heard maybe negativity or something coming into conversations and I think there was a reference that he would have quite a stern look in his face and he'd be, you know, double down with determination to be positive and have a real positive attitude. And I think that really comes through in his voice. So he's probably very, you know, I didn't know him uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, but I imagine he was very selective with what he said in just general conversation. 
And I think it comes through in the power of his voice and, and it really moves me every time I hear it that it's very significant, isn't it? He's, uh, yeah, lovely that they include this so early in the film. Yes, yeah. what do you think about that prayer, Mike? No, I love this prayer because it kind of, it describes what kind of a guru does, right? A guru isn't just someone who teaches you how to live for fun. A guru basically teaches you how to free yourself from your karma and from this world ultimately. And then when he says, I may awaken all souls with my own and bring them to thee, that is amazing. Like when you, when you hear that, because you often, I feel like oftentimes when you start meditating and stuff, you, you um, do it from a, the perspective of um, how can I be more peaceful? How can I be more loving? And those are all good things on the path. But I feel like this ultimate goal of freeing yourself and when he puts, when he says it with this powerful voice, I feel like this vibrates in everybody when they hear it. What is your favorite prayer, Chris? Favorite prayer? I, I, I like a certain prayer. The one that I, I fall back to is uh, uh, patience. There is a prayer on patience um, or, or Prince of Peace sitting on a throne of poise, calmly directing the kingdom of activity. And that one comes back to me a lot, a lot because we, we live in a, in a really fast paced world. And, you know, if I can say this prayer, uh, it really anchors me. Uh, into the into the moment and not be worried about too too many of these fast moving things all around me. So that that's one that's one that I love. Yeah, Mike, nice. Um, I I always try to be in tune with um, Guruji's will, with God's will, and it's not easy. And I I have those moments sometimes where I do something, then later on I figure out I shouldn't have done that. And then I'm like, I wasn't in tune. How did that happen? I thought I'm, I'm always trying to be in tune. You know, I always try to interiorize. When I have a big decision, I try to close my eyes and say, Guruji, what would you do now? Or what, what do you want me to do? What is God's plan? And I guess sometimes God's plan is for me to make a mistake and learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's, I mean, this is very common prayer, but I, I really use this one a lot. Uh, I will reason, I will will, I will act, but guide me. Guide exactly. Guide down my reason, will, and, and activity. And activity, the, the right, right thing. thing. That's right. That's the one. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one as well. Yeah, we, we use that. <laughs> we use that that prayer quite often before any of our meetings mm -hmm. um, between SRF devotees and you know anything where there's likely to be a debate or potentially a disagreement or like you know we, we as mike said we're trying to tune into to guruji's will um yeah that's quite uh, quite nice um before we move on to the next topic let me just read out um yogananda what he's written about prayer in man's eternal quest um which was in uh the chapter is um realizing God in daily life. And the, the section on prayer goes something like this. <clears throat> prayer is a demand of the soul. Prayer is a demand of the soul. God did not make us beggars. He created us in his image. The Bible and Hindu scriptures declare it. A beggar who goes to a rich home and asks for alms receives a beggar's share. But the son who can have anything he asks from his wealthy father. Therefore, we should not behave like beggars. Divine ones such as Christ, Krishna and Buddha did not lie when they said we are made in the image of God. Yet we see that some people have everything seemingly born with a silver spoon in their mouth, whereas others seem to attract failure and troubles. Where is the image of God in them. The power of spirit lies within each one of us. The question is how to develop it. If you follow the lessons in my experiences with God, 
you are bound to find the results that you are seeking. In the past, you may have been disappointed that your prayers were not answered, but do not lose faith. In order to find out if prayers work or not, you must have them in your mind. An initial belief in the power of prayer. Your prayers may have gone unanswered because you chose to be a beggar. You also, you should know that you may legitimately ask or what you may legitimately ask of your heavenly father. You may pray with all your heart and power to own the earth, but your prayer will not be granted because all prayers connected with material life are limited. They have to be. God will not break his laws to satisfy whimsical desires. But there is a right way to pray. A cat is said to have nine lives. Difficulties have 99. <laughs> you have to find the one sure way of killing the cat of difficulties. The secret of effective prayer is to change your status from beggar to a child of God. When you appeal to him from that consciousness, your prayer will have both power and wisdom. Anything mm. strike you from that? It's truth. You, you know when you hear truth in some sense, like it speaks to a part of you that's illogical, you know, it goes beyond reason. It just sounds, it, you know, resonates with you and that, and that really resonates uh, with, with, with me in a sense. It, it does remind me um, of, of, of a time when I prayed deeply for something that was somewhat material, but it, it kind of came off that I think it was out of work for four months. And uh, I sat there and I was kind of debating as to what I wanted to do next. And I kind of gave up the kind of um, finer details and prayed for the best thing for me. And I kind of put, you know, demand, I demanded a few key things, flexibility and different things like this. And within a week, I had this ideal, you know, job essentially. So I was praying for that. And it, it was always something that struck me that I, I didn't beg for it, you know, and, and I, I, I didn't do the things that obviously, as you just highlighted, might not be uh, the right ingredients in a, in a prayer. Um, and uh, God helps those who helps themselves is, is something that, you know, um, I recall reading from Yogananda. And that can be easily misconstrued with greed or whatever else, you know, uh, in that. But you've got to really be able to stand up on your two feet. So, um, yeah, no, that, that, that rings true to me. So thanks for sharing. That's all right, Mike. Yeah, I really like this idea of, uh, praying as a child of God and not as a beggar and um, of course like what Chris just said is so true you have to do your part right and I think there is I think it's a sister Gyana Mata who who ha um, said it in her book um, uh, don't don't change any circumstance in my life change my attitude towards the circumstances right and I've I also feel like um, when it, uh, because he says um, material prayers are limited. And I feel like they are also, they keep changing because as it is today, you want this and next month you might want something else. And then if you keep praying, like I feel like if you pray for something over and over again through, throughout your life, um, it, be, it be, will become a very powerful prayer after a while. Something like... Um, feeling God's presence more often or something like that. I feel like those are the things that are the most meaningful to pray for. I think Master Paramahansa Yogananda really liked the prayer, may thy love shine forever mm -hmm. on the sanctuary of our devotion and may we be able to awaken thy love in all hearts. And mm -hmm. um, that's similar to this one, isn't it? Bless me with the awakening dawn that I may awaken all souls with my own and bring them to be. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been thinking about the the meaning of this prayer because it's it's such a it's such a popular prayer, right? Um, I think it's even written on the on the on the entrance gate of Hollywood Temple. Um, what does I mean? The second part is pretty clear, right? It's like um, uh, 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 may I awaken. Um, thy love in all hearts, right? But the first part um, is more about awaken the, 
the love within me, right? Or sanctify the love in me that I have for you. And mm -hmm. that is like, because I, I felt I did this prayer for many years and didn't really exactly know what it meant. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, but it's very beautiful. Mm. Yeah. yeah. My, um, the prayer that I, I, I've actually, for my meditations, I combine about four or five prayers and mm. I've combined, <laughs> combined, combined them all. Um, even though when I go to SRF services, I really like, I can't connect to really long prayers. Uh, I like short prayers because like my, my concentration is not great, but my own, because I've got it memorized, my own prayers are quite long. They're like a, over a minute long and it goes, I'll, I'll summarize, but I use the one where a divine sculptor chisels out my life to thy design. And, and there's, there's other things that I, that I do, but I like to amalgamate two or three and mm -hmm. I use them virtually every day. Um, and I, I find it quite uh, powerful. It settles me and allows me to give myself to the meditation that, uh, mm -hmm. that I'm about to have. It's so powerful, isn't it? Having, having access to such profound prayers. Because um, like, for example, biblical prayers, they're usually quite, um, they're quite, you know, that they're, they're symbolic usually, aren't they? And there's, there's, there's quite a lot of interpretation, but in Yogananda's prayers, it's like, it's pretty much a direct conversation as you would have with your father or your mother, but you're addressing God as, as a devotee, as a child would. Mm -hmm. So simple yet so profound, aren't they? There's, there's a great story in one of the lessons or in the early lessons about how um, there was a man who was jealous of another who wasn't as uh, capable as he, uh, but yet had, you know, things he didn't have. So um, the, 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 uh, the, the man uh, saw how another um, simply demanded things in life and, and kind of was giving them like, you know, demanded a house and he kind of had a house and, and it was, the, the, the moral of the story essentially was you are a child of God and, um, you know, all, all you would necessarily have to do is show your love for God and, and, and have, you can be naive and you can be kind of, you know, not the brightest person, you know, of the group, but, you know, you will be given everything in return. Um, and yeah, it was the moral of the story was demand, but show your love and, and faith in God. Um, which I thought was quite funny because we tend to overcomplicate matters in some sense um, as humans. So keep it simple, <laughs> keep it simple, <laughs> stupid kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about quickly before we move on to the next scene. Let's talk about his dress um, and generally the dress that SRF ministers, monks, swamis and YSS, what they wear because it's not, it's actually unique, completely unique to both India, anywhere in the world. SRF, the robes that, that the monks wear are completely unique. And I'll talk about uh, my take on them, but I'm interested to hear what you, what you guys think. Mike, you're, you've seen them probably more than all of us. Sure, I'm, I'm also the expert on clothing here. <laughs> <laughs> now, to be honest, I don't really, I, I always thought that they were traditional Indian um, uh, clothes, but I didn't know they were unique, actually. Mm. Chris? Yeah, uh, I, I suppose I didn't really think about it too much. Um, from Coming from Northern Ireland, you just, <laughs> you probably wouldn't want to wear <laughs> something uh, as, as thin as that. Um, so yeah, uh, it's very, very otherworldly compared to, you know, what, what garments you would necessarily need over here. But um, going to some hot countries, you know, in my life, I can see why it would be a pretty good thing to wear. Um, my, my knowledge of this is limited, but I do know that the color is representing something in particular. Maybe Priyank, you can delve yeah, into that. I'll do that, yeah. But I, do, I was interested to hear your, because um, it's not, uh, you wouldn't have seen that robe, that type of robe before. Um, and I, I certainly hadn't, and obviously I'm, I'm from India, so... I would say it's similar and it's different. For example, in, in Western 
uh, Christian clerics have a um, have a uh, uh, what they called collar, right? And mm -hmm. SRF ministers and Yogananda's retain to that collar, and that collar isn't actually associated with any Indian tradition. It's a Christian Western Western mm -hmm. thing, um, and the the ochre robe color is obviously one that uh, renunciants wear when they take their take their vows in India, uh, brahmachari and sannyasi vows, and you, you that's the cloth that you that you don. And there's a lovely story in um, autobiography of a yogi where uh, Sudhakshara gives gives uh, Yogananda that cloth and he dyes it in the ochre ink, and you know it's a symbolic gesture that you're leaving leaving behind your um, you know, worldly life or your material life, family life, etc. from before to this new phase of your life. <clears throat> so that cloth in India, how it's worn, is it's literally just uh, orange cloth, very long, just draped pretty much all around your body. Whereas this is, and you're going to, you can see him wearing it in this image, um, is very, it's, it's, it's a mix because it is it is a long fab fabric, you know, that reach reaches up to his legs. But like for example, he's actually wearing smart shoes and smart trousers. Whereas in India, obviously, there would be pretty aesthetics in India usually bare bare feet and definitely not trousers. And mm -hmm. so he, these robes they kind of they flow down and there's order, you know. For example, the, the modern one it kind of comes around and then on your on your uh, upper breast there's a SRF um, emblem and pin and so there's it's, it looks like it's um, an Indian you know traditional dress but actually it's it's very structured and it's very like it's got sleeves actually and it's got um, every it looks the same every single time it's perfect but like it's tailored um, so it's like it's perfect mix it's a perfect blend of uh, you know the traditional aesthetic attire and um, a monk that's ready to serve in 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 the world and actually do things for society, which is what uh, what our ministers uh, and sannyasis do, right? Yeah. Well, I, I I had heard like different like sects or religions wear different colors for different reasons, um, and and Buddhists from memory they wear yellow because it's identified with death and then this the color that yogananda is wearing is you know something to again jump jump in jump in here but i, th I think it's um to do with uh this the sun is it or to do, do to do with life or something like this um i'm, I'm not too sure I, I haven't actually read up on this but I, I, yeah i don't know perhaps we could uh, read up next time but yeah mike you, i know you probably didn't know about uh, some of the things that i said any reflections? No, I did not. Um, I thought because I I think um, Sri Yukteswar was a uh, Swami of the of the Giri or Giri, Giri. order, yeah. Yeah. right? And then Yogananda was as well, and and then everybody in SRF is as well. And I kind of assumed that the dress would come from there, but um, the way you explain it is that it's some kind of hybrid between yeah. like Western and Eastern. Um, uh, monastic uh, attire I guess and that's very cool yes indeed so now the next scene is a special one we get to hear Yogananda singing so let me see if I can play it for you three Yeah, that's, that's a very short clip, but mm -hmm. you, Mike, you definitely will recognize the tune. Uh, the of course. Tune, the tune is from Oh God Beautifully. Yeah. But it's just not the lyrics I'm used to. Yeah, but it's the Hindi version, obviously. <laughs> and we, it's interesting because um, it, obviously Yogananda is Indian, and my friends and family, the Indian version, Indian friends. They, they ask, oh, like, what are these chants he's singing in English? Like, what are these, like, they're, they're, so, they're so weird. And I was like, they're actually like direct translations from very popular Indian chants. But we're so, you know, 
English uh, changing uh, Hindi or a Sanskrit chant to English loses loses some of its um, uh, I don't know some of its feeling because we have such a strong feeling towards the original lyrics. But actually, like the the way you're going to sing, and we're going to discuss this. Um, so the, the the words are that he just sung. Dukhi jano ke hari vedana vedana yogi jano ke anand hari, which means um, to the sorrowful thou art sympathy, to the yogi thou art bliss. So yes, um, you might, from your limited understanding of uh, Indian words, you might recognize the, the second line, yogi jano ke ananda. Hari. I would I would recognize Yogi. I would yes. recognize Ananda and yeah. Tari. Yeah. yeah there you go. See? <laughs> there you go Afterwards, fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. From yeah. that, you could pretty much infer like virtually everything from that. Um, that beautiful. Sure. Song, but but how beautifully these things, right? Um, we're going to obviously discuss this. But um, do you guys? Do you guys? I think we discussed this um, in the past. But do you, do you use chants? Mike, I know you play harmonium. Oh yeah, I I love that. Like I, I feel like, um, like they say like uh, Kriya plus devotion, right? Is the key to God, and the chance is like the way to awaken a devotion in oneself, because they are so beautiful. Um, I also sometimes listen to recordings of uh, monks or nuns or Guruji. Um, I also have a harmonium next. Uh, in my meditation place and I play every morning because that's kind of something your, that that focuses the mind on on devotion. What's and your favorite then, chant to play? Um, I think thousands of suns and moons. And you, I Mike, Mike <laughs> always loves the complex to play chants. Like I've only been playing for two or three years and then like I'm just doing the really simple chants like I am the bubble make me see. Whereas Mike's doing these like massive like you know the the whole page log in the cosmic chant. <laughs> chant. Yeah. But it's like it's more like for me the ones that I really um, like to listen to are easier to learn for me because I really want to play them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You connect, right? Yeah, what about absolutely. you, Chris? Yeah, it, it was definitely like at the beginning of the SRF London uh, yeah, trips for me, I would always come away with some sort of chant going over and over again in my mind. And, uh, you know, uh, like Mike said, some, sometimes that you go through your day and then you think, oh, I probably shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have done that. And why wasn't I in tune? Whenever you have the music going through, you know, it's kind of going through your heart. It's kind of hard, difficult not to be in tune. So, you know, not having been to the SRF in ages because I've, I've moved out of London then obviously during lockdown, I really missed that because you would, I would always come away with, with some chant going on in, in, in my mind and it would just keep me in tune for days just without having to even put any mental capacity into doing it. So um, yeah, it's very, they're very, very powerful. I, I think whenever, you know, I have conversations with people and they say, you know, how do you, how do you meditate? And I say, well, you know, for every person out there, there's probably seven, you know, billion, there's probably a different way of meditating, you know, for you that will help you in some way that will be better for you. And it could be visual, it could be audio, it could be anything. Obviously, Yogananda has a scientific technique that's you can reproduce these meditations. But for me, audio chanting is a fantastic way to get into meditation. Um, so yeah, on YouTube, there's some videos of Yogananda that I've listened to. and I listen to the chants and listen to the words there. So Krishna Das comes next and he says this. He says he wasn't trying to sing prettily. He wasn't trying to entertain people. He was singing. It was <laughs> so powerful. And in the um, in the notes, it says that he <laughs> he falls at this point. I've got the book now, the script. It says in the notes of the script, he, he falls back as if overwhelmed by the experience. <laughs> Which do you, I don't know if that was scripted for him to fall back or yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fell back. But Krishna Das is obviously himself uh, 
quite a singer. Chris, yeah. I know you haven't um, heard him. So let me play. This, this is a exclusive. We're going to get Chris, Chris's reaction to Krishnadas. Let's go. Oh, yeah, I was getting chills up the spine there, oh, actually. Wow. Yeah, just right at the very end, when, whenever you kind of closed it off, I could just feel the tingles kind of coming up, the hairs raising a little bit. That, that sounded pretty special, yeah. And he's, he's, uh, he's obviously, you know, getting in tune with, with God when he's singing, you can tell. That's pretty nice. I'll have to listen to it. Yeah, he's uh, extremely, extremely popular. And the, them. Yeah. Sorry, the, the, the instruments, um, very unusual, you know, for, for a Western Irish person to, to hear. <laughs> um, does, he, does he play the instruments at the same time? Is he... He, he does play the harmonium in his concerts. And then yep. he has some people around him who play other instruments like tabla and guessing sitar. And uh, in one of his albums, he even added a guitar, which I found pretty cool, actually. That had like an, another dimension to it, I think. Yeah. Mm. In, um, in the um, in the book, uh, it's actually got uh, it's got a description of Krishna Das and all the um, all the uh, people that are in the book. So he says of he says Krishna Das says layering traditional chanting with accessible melodies and modern instruments. Krishna Das has been called yoga's rock star. <laughs> Inspired by Yogananda's introduction of devotional chanting, Girtan, to the West, Krishna Das performs India's chants in a soulful voice that has deeply touched thousands of listeners. He has taken call and response chanting out of the yoga centers and into concert halls, becoming the best-selling Western chant artist of all time. That's in the um, contributors, the book that the awake book for the contributors to the to the, to the movie. Yeah, so yeah. he's uh, he's obviously he's extremely popular, but you can now, Chris, see or hear hear why, right? Yeah, yeah. M Mike was saying before the call that the music speeds up, starts slow, and speeds yeah. up, right? So yeah, he, I'll, he I'll, plays I'll with he plays with tempo superbly, like and. He's so engaging, like we just heard his voice, right? But if you actually watch him singing, that in itself is an experience. Like, you know, mm. Krishna Das is saying like, he wasn't just, you know, he wasn't just singing. He was like, you know, singing, speaking to God. Like it yeah. feels like Krishna Das himself like has taken those words and he's actually trying, you know, he's trying to do that same thing whilst he's singing. So if yeah. you watch some of his videos, like watching them is, is quite watching him sing is quite a quite an experience because he goes into that that zone mm. and it's just absolutely beautiful to to watch and it feels like again you're right you're right there so we're so yeah. fortunate to have uh, have him in this film I suppose yeah yeah it's like sing like nobody's watching kind of thing um, <laughs> I, I, I think there was something in Yogananda's teachings about how to imbue the voice with with soul force with cosmic and energy um and, and it really sounds like he he does so I, like even myself you know, i i'm not a singer like definitely definitely not a singer but um it, it's uh it, it was really nice coming out of the srf um centers because everybody's singing you know you're chanting and you're singing and then you go into meditation and there's just such an energy about it being be, like singing with devotion to God, there's such an energy to that. Um, it really takes what's, you on to another point. What's your favorite chant, Chris? Ah, yeah, um, probably something like that. You, you just—it was funny. I laughed earlier when you said, uh, "I'm the bubble." I, I love that one. <laughs> it's the simplest one, but like you know, something like that 
it helps me visualize and it's it's a great analogy and it really helps words, me Chris, connect. tell us the words i i, I am the bubble make make me the sea um, the, first, the first bit is so do thou my lord yeah so do thou my lord thou and i never part thou yeah. and i never part wave of the sea dissolve in the sea wave of the sea dissolve in the sea and then chris go for it uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, make me see. <laughs> yeah, it's. It is you guys got an acapella fun. version going on there. Very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, if anything will make me blush, that will make me blush. <laughs> um, I, I think I think it's such a great one because um, uh, the analogies to it help me help help me get over any of the analytical overlays that will kind of distract you, you know, it just, it just zaps me straight into meditation, just even hearing the words. So yeah, that's mine. What's yours? Um, it's interesting you should say that, Chris, like, um, you know what you were saying, like, I'm not a singer and I'm embarrassed. Um, well, yeah. I, I feel exactly, I feel exactly the same way and felt exactly the same way before I started chanting myself and, and I chant for the center and online meditation center as well. But I don't consider myself a singer, but the, the, these words that Krishna Das says, it, it just really struck home for me. Like, you're not really singing to entertain people. Mm. Like, you're, you're trying to allow people to, like, go within and connect. And, like, as he says, he wasn't trying, like, Yogananda himself wasn't, like, a renowned professional singer but look how you hear how powerful his his singing is right like he as, as Krishna says he wasn't trying to sing prettily he wasn't trying to entertain people he was just singing to God it was so powerful and we we take that um, you know when when Jenny from the center was was um, tutoring me on chanting for the center she, she said like you know, if this is not about you, like, forget about your own, like, mm -hmm. how good you think you are, or how bad you think you are, you just have to let your guru, like, sing through your, through you, through your voice, and people, if you do that, people will hear that, and people will be able to connect to that um, chant, and be able to meditate deeper, so really, you have to forget about um, your own ability to sing right and I think you did mm. obviously you alluded to that Chris yourself yeah but the reason um, <laughs> the reason I brought up this one and it's funny that it's your favorite one um <laughs> obviously no coincidences but mm. the reason I brought it up is because on the harmonium it's literally it's like four notes you just need like th three fingers and it's like even like a complete novice in music could learn how to play this in 10-15 minutes so if you have a piano, keyboard, or a harmonium, Chris, I would urge you to, yeah. to play that. Um, it, would, it would be so quick for you to learn, even if you don't play music. It's so quick and it's so powerful to, um, you know, to, to mix with your meditations, as, as Mike says he does. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to get the, I've got like an old electric keyboard downstairs. I'll, I'll dust it off <clears throat> and give it a go. <laughs> Uh, we'll go. Mike, Mike will give you a quick tutorial on that chant, but as I say, yeah. it's extremely, uh, extremely easy. Actually, someone, um, one, one devotee has um, oh, ice cream fans here, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Always on time. <laughs> um, green sleeves, Mozart, uh, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah. Some one devotee has um, made made it possible for. Uh, people that can't read music to be able to read the chants and play them. So they've just got like a map of the keys and they've put the words on where each key is. Each, mm. each key they put the word is so like, I am the bubble, make me the sea, it'll be like that. So you don't even need to go to read music. Like people have made it so easy right now. And that I, I still, I can read music, but not very well, but I, I prefer to use these, um, <laughs> these charts than uh, than reading the music in cosmic chants. <laughs> I I like those too. I even sometimes use uh, YouTube videos where I see other people playing the chants, and then I just um, play it like they do because I like reading the notes. It takes me ten minutes, fifteen minutes to play it, and watching the video it takes me five minutes because just yeah. easier. But Mike, me. I've also seen you just do it by your ear. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but, I, I like that one. Yeah, 
this is how it goes. Yeah, this is how it goes. <laughs> yeah, that that, that kind of works. But then sometimes I'm off by a note or two, and then that, that's why I always try. Like I, I at least I need to know where to start, which is the first key. And this is it's an interesting point you've raised there. Like off by a note. Um, that's not to say you're out. You know, you're you're playing the wrong chord for that uh, for that piece. Um, or that note doesn't belong to that piece. It can belong, but you will know that it doesn't connect. Like mm. you, it's it's so uh, it's so weird, isn't it? Like you you can play it in that note, um, and musically it's fine, it's permissible, but you won't be able to connect to that word and that part of the song, right? And you you mm -hmm. will know like when when you aren't playing the um, the chant correctly, and um, and that's not because it may be musically inaccurate. It's because the note doesn't resonate with that word, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something really, really powerful in that. Like, and this comes back to what mm -hmm. I was saying about, um, you know, my family was like, oh, he's chanting in English. And I was like, yeah, but how powerful, listen to how powerful it is. And the music, the notes that he plays um, and, you know, the tempo that, that he plays them in and that we're taught to play them in, I think is, probably just as if not more important than the chant and the words that we're playing so like even I don't know if you ever listen to the cosmic chants instrumental versions where, where obviously no one's no one's singing but this is just the music and you don't you may not even know the words but wow like what what an experience just hearing the instrumental version of some of these um mm. some of these chants but I don't know if you Mike if you I don't know if you what you feel about that yeah I've I mean, obviously, when you hear it, you you mentally sometimes sing the lyrics, anyways. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, it, some of them are just very powerful melodies, and I sometimes I I like whistle them or something, and then I go like, oh yeah, nobody else knows this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which so, is here, yeah, go on, Chris. I uh, just just to kind of um, add what you're saying, but about about the voice about the vocals and connecting to the words more so than worrying about how maybe they're coming across from a from a tune point of view um the, every every word that we have has to come from a more subtle layer of existence and thought form and idea form so the more purity that you can connect with there that will come across in speech so i think that's when whenever you hear yogananda he's so pure like there's kind of less you know layers of interference and static in between the thought and, and the word it just sounds so pure to, to listen to you know um it, it doesn't really matter actually is it in tune or is it in tone mm. because he's just connecting to the words in such a way that yeah it's, it's really powerful um speaking of powerful listen to this That was, of course, George Harrison and My Sweet Lord. And this is the um, this is the next character or the next scene. So George Harrison, guys. So what does he say? He says he says um, Ravi Shankar gave him the autobiography, um, and then he says, if I hadn't read that, I'd probably have wouldn't have had a life really. I probably would have kicked the bucket and I'd be some horrible person and a pointless life. <laughs> it gave meaning to life. And then um, he says, this, uh, he zapped me with the picture, like zapped me with his eyes. Mm. So, yeah, so that's the, that's what he said. And George Harrison is also in my um, opinion, like, especially when you, when you see that live version of the chant performed, you can see like, you can see the, the passion with, and the power that he's singing. You know, he's singing, my sweet Lord, and, 
and he says i really want to see you and you can really like it, it comes out if you watch the video it comes out of the screen and like even i like and i've heard this so many times every <laughs> single time it makes the hairs at the back of my neck stand uh what do you guys think of george harris <laughs> no, amazing i i mean I, I mentioned last episode that george harrison is the reason why my mother uh, read mm. the autobiography so he's probably the reason why I exist, right? Why I incarnated. <laughs> it's like the butterfly effect, right? Of, mm-hmm. of him um, reading the autobiography of a yogi and popularizing it among young people at this time. Um, and I mean, the, this, this, this is like a chant almost, the song we just listened to. It's like very, it's very spiritual. It is very powerful. It has this mantra aspect where it keeps repeating the same text over and over again my sweet, lord, yeah. my sweet lord and then i just i just feel like the the um him having that platform being part of the beatles and then using that platform to promote spirituality this is this is something pretty special um and um also um, the thing is, he says, like, my existence would have been pointless. And I can totally see what he means, right? Like, he would, he could have lived this um, rock star kind of life where he drinks a lot of alcohol, takes a lot of drugs, and then, um, don't know, and this is his life. And instead, he chose to have a uh, spiritual life, which is great. I still find it unfair that, like, he passed away already in the meantime. Mm-hmm. And Keith Richards is still alive, um, who lives, who will kind of live this kind of lifestyle of of everything, like, um, like what what do you think of a rock star? He's probably done it, but I guess that's that's how it can be sometimes. Chris, what do you think of the great George? Yeah, it's funny you say you say this about the you know the the lifestyle and things. I I can actually relate a lot to it. Like <laughs> whenever whenever I got on the Yogananda, it actually you know the SRF and everything, it really gave more meaning to my to my life. And um, I had listened to George Harrison's music before I knew about the SRF, and I just thought there was some something to it that was so moving. And so compelling, but now I can really appreciate it in just to such a deeper degree. Um, I, and you know, to, to Mike's point about him influencing and maybe the role that the Beatles had to play or George Harrison had to play on, you know, on on, on civilization, I would say even to a great extent, they really went on a journey of trying to find meaning and, and find themselves, uh, you know, traveling to India in 1966. That's when George Harrison picked up this book through Ravi Shankar. So they went to study under sit- sitar, the, the instrument under Ravi Shankar. Uh, and there they came, came uh, you know, under a different influence of the Eastern philosophy and kind of brought that back to the, to the UK and, you know, the, the Western world through their music. So it's, it's a great, if you think about like what Yogananda did, and he talked about it a lot, which was bringing the East to the West and having that marriage and having the, having the, the value or the wealth of spirituality from India mixed with the, the wealth of material, uh, material wealth in the US. It's not too dissimilar what these guys are doing mm. in some respects, isn't it? So. Um, I, I think it really can't be understated, like his his impact, and obviously bringing Mike and other people into the world. You know, I'm sure he's probably had a, had a role to play in that <laughs> as well. It's it's funny if you if you look at the top songs on Spotify for George Harrison, I think "My Sweet Lord" is number one with like 280 million listens, and then "Got My Mind Set on You," "What Is Life," and "Give Me Love," tens of millions of listens each. Mm. And on YouTube, again, there's like 100 million plus listens with these things. So I don't know, maybe I've listened to it like a million times just myself. But like, <laughs> I, I, I think it's like there's, there's, a real, there's, there's a real impact that these guys have had just through their own search for spirituality and meaning to life. So really happy he's in, he's in the, uh, the movie he had a part to play in it as well. 
Yes, you mentioned Ravi Shankar in the in this book. It says um, Ravi Shankar, nineteen twenty to twenty twelve. Um, so that's what uh, ninety two. Pretty celebrated life he had. Um, mm. He said the most celebrated sitar player in the world, Ravi Shankar, was born in Varanasi into a Bengali family in nineteen twenty. The same year that Paramahansa Yogananda arrived in America, mm. after achieving worldwide acclaim as one of the foremost composers and teachers of Hindustani music, whose students include, included the Beatles' George Harrison. Shankar sent, settled in Encinitas, California, where Yogananda wrote his spiritual classic, The Autobiography of Yogi. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that he settled in Encinitas. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He probably went to uh, the ashram there, right? Mm. Yeah, he lived there the last 10 years of his life, about, I think, near the mm. ashram. Mm -hmm. And George Harrison, 1943 to 2001, which would make him, what, uh, 59, 58? Yeah, something like that. Um, while George Harrison achieved international star superstardom as a lead guitarist of the Beatles, he also composed and recorded numerous hit songs as a solo artist, including My Sweet Lord, Give Me Love, which is featured in the end credits of Awake. Drawn to India from an early age, Harrison delved into mystical texts and writings from masters like Yogananda and became a lifelong meditator. Harrison's apprenticeship with Ravi Shankar helped him to introduce sacred Indian music to the world and his devotion and spiritual sincerity has inspired millions of truth seekers worldwide. Pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. And if you look at in this scene when he's there, he's got he's sitting. I think he's in India. Scene with him, Paul McCartney, I think, um, and with Ravi Shankar. And um, he seems to have a pretty cool pendant on. I think the pendant is of Babaji. I could be wrong, but it looks pretty cool. And um, yeah. And interestingly, like um, he says, like he zapped me with his eyes with that picture, right? That picture, that, uh, that that zapping picture, is also in the book, and I think it was it's, it was it was taken whilst he was on his uh, lecture tour around around his first lecture tour around around the U.S. And um, yes, it was right here. It is uh, Pramhansa Yogananda in San Francisco during his first transcontinental lecture tour in 1924. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he's wearing, he's with Babaji, sorry, he's with Ravi Shankar and he's wearing like white yoga clothes that I usually wear as well when I'm doing Hatha Yoga, which we'll discuss in detail, I think next, uh, in the next minute. But he's there, uh, yeah, George Harrison's got pretty long hair actually, pretty it's similar to yours, Chris. Not quite, uh, yours isn't quite as long. <laughs> yeah, you got the man bun. Yeah, he would, he would probably have a man bun if he would be alive now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, 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 my dad, uh, my mom and dad aren't too happy about it, but you know. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, in it this helps picture, me connect to the cosmic consciousness. <laughs> and then we get this picture where, yeah, the, the one in in Yogananda in San Francisco, which is the one where you can like see him, see his eyes looking straight out of the picture, pretty much into you. And um, this one, guys, for the YouTube viewers, um, he. Uh, He's got, the, you can see the collar, distinctly see the collar, right? And this reminded me actually when I had my first job interview, um, not first one, when I had, I had quite a few job interviews when I graduated. And the first one was, um, uh, not first one, the one that I wanted most was Network Rail. Um, and interestingly, the person who interviewed me was wearing a collar. So he was a minister <laughs> and he was wearing a his black, um, you know, suit and a collar uh, through the interview, which is quite interesting because, like, I, at that time I'd read The Alchemist, so I was like, you know, look for signs. Which where should I? <laughs> this guy was like, <laughs> I mean, where else could you get an interview? Interview like done by a minister, right? And I was like, yeah, this is definitely the, uh, <laughs> the job that I'm going to have. Uh, yeah, anyway, that's uh, an aside. <laughs> but yeah, anything. Um, that's that's the minute. Um, anything else? Anyone wants to say, say about that minute? No, I, I just I just love the takeaways from it. That you know, minute by minute, there's so much depth to everything 
that's being touched on and it's you know it, it's fine when you're watching and if you're watching as a uh, let's say a lay person not not uh, that hasn't really studied yoga these things might go over your head quite easily but there's so much depth to everything that's been cut, touched on here so um, yeah another another good minute yes yeah I love all the personalities they brought into this movie to talk about Guruji and and those unique perspectives and that you, like Chris said you dive into their into their vita basically and there's so much in there as well mm. yeah George Harrison um, 11 Mm. and Le legend in the next minute we will go a bit deeper into more influential figures like um steve jobs is in the next minute and then there's lots of hatha yoga going on so we'll discuss that <laughs> in the next minute so we'll leave it there thank you very much for joining us see you next time jay guru jay guru, jay guru.